RadioInfluence.com. Welcome, 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 welcome back to Life in the Fast Lane, hosted by me, the boy, Mr. Black Moses. How is everyone doing out there this week? Me, your boy is doing grand, and I hope you're doing grand as well. Listen, man, listen, you know, I got to keep it 100, if not 1,000 with you, my family, my peoples, my beloved. Your boy hasn't been writing as much as he should have. I should be writing way more, way more now. And, you know, part of me was saying that, oh, you know, with the weather getting colder in the, in the Northeast or the East Coast, it's kind of like, oh, man, you, you, I need to find not motivation because I have that. I'm a writer after all, but I have to find a way to move things out of the way so that I can ride more. And, you know, obviously people talk, oh, it's colder now. And people are in our in our neck of the woods in, in the northeast and the east coast of the U.S. As the temperatures drop, people, and we've talked about this on the show before, people will say that the riding season is over. They will put their bikes away for storage and even on social media and on, and on websites. And I'm getting email blast from companies or dealerships that are offering winter storage specials. And I'm not hating on that. I get it. I understand. But that that's kind of what kind of uh, energized this little rant. This little rant is that I received a few emails in the last two weeks of, you know, dealerships or shops that are offering winter storage specials. And I just, oh, that just kind of gets me a little bit. It's kind of like, well, storage specials, like winter storage it, it, it has me thinking and, and processing, you know, like I have shout out to my family at Icon and D3O because because they always make sure that I'm kitted out properly. And I have my winter riding apparel, my winter riding gear. And that's, you know, and I may have talked before about the genius of the Bella Clava, which I love saying the Bella Clava. Um, it's just an ingenious a uh, piece of kit that everybody should have. And it really does. Some people look like a ski mask. Some people say it looks like Deadpool. Whatever, man. It is a great, great piece of kit that helps to helps you to endure chillier or less than warm riding temperature temperatures. That, I just like stress the temperatures in that word. It, look, warm, less than warm temps. When it's cold outside, you gear up. And that's my point. That's my point. And I'm not hating on, I'm not hating on anybody. And I'm definitely not hating on dealerships or companies that are shops that are offering winter storage for your bikes. And let's be honest, you know, if there's snow on the ground, riding just doesn't make sense. If there's ice on the ground, it doesn't make sense. So I get that parking the bike in that regard. However, if it's chilly though, you know, like to me, Riding in 40 to 50 degrees is doable. It's doable. And honestly, in my experience, my bikes, they actually seem to appreciate the 60, the 50 to 60 degree uh, temperature range. The bikes just seem to breathe. From my, from my experience on my bikes, 
um, the bikes seem to breathe a little bit better and they perform a little bit better. The throttle response is a little bit better. And uh, it's just, it seems like psychologically, it seems that things are way more relaxed. And then I enjoy the ride a little bit more. Um, obviously during this time of the year, you, because there's less bikes on the road, you do have to be mindful of cagers because, you know, they really don't see us anyway when we're out there, when the weather's is, is warm. They're definitely not looking for us then. And they're definitely not looking for us now that winter is coming. So, um, you know, like me, like I said, personally, I need to get into the mindset of, and I've kind of, like I said, those emails that I got about their winter storage specials, you know, have kind of jump started me to making sure that, Hey, you know what, just like I did when the weather was proper, uh, make sure that I get out and get some seat time just because it's cold outside doesn't mean that you can't ride. You just have to be smart about it. You have to gear up. You have to do the right thing. You know, you have to protect yourself. You have to make sure that if you layer up, look, I've always said that the cold weather is why God made leather. Keep it 100. Keeps you warm. Layer up, put your long johns on, put an undersuit on. Uh, And now the bikes that have, depending on your ride, even if some bikes are coming now with uh, heated grips um, and you can, if, you, if it doesn't, you can purchase aftermarket uh, heated grips to put on your bike. Uh, there's uh, seated, uh, sorry, <laughs> um, warm, what is it? What's the word? It's, uh, it's uh, seats that have warmers, you know, heat, heat warmer or whatever, you know, the seats have uh, heat elements in it. That's what I was trying to say. The seats, heated seats, boom, there it is. <laughs> bikes now have heated seats um, and those are available. You can get them aftermarket. Uh, the new Triumph Tiger, not the new Triumph Tigers, uh, the Rally, the GT, they actually come with heated seats and for the rider and for the passenger behind. So, you know, there's, it's, you have to think about it like this. You, you know what you can tolerate, but, is what you can tolerate based on what everybody else is doing or is it based on what you know about yourself? And that's what that's what my point is. Just because everybody else is putting their bikes away, that doesn't mean you have to put yours away. It doesn't mean that you go out there and ride like it's the 4th of July and that, you know, that the sun's beating down on the asphalt and your tires are going to be super sticky. No, but you can go out and enjoy a nice fall maybe early winter ride, maybe a straight up winter ride if you prepare for it. Every year, every year, January 1st, I do a solo New Year's ride. I don't go too far, but I gear up, I get on my bike and I do it every year. For me, that's a nice way of bringing in the year with a ride. Some people do big group rides on the uh, big group rides on the first of the year. And I've obviously I do big group rides throughout the year, but there's something about going for that first ride of the year by myself and my bike and just, you know, it's 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 a weird, not weird, it's a very interesting time of retrospection. You get to think about things, think about what happened last year, uh, some of your highs, your lows, your lessons learned, your blessings received. And then it gives me an opportunity to process all of that and then look forward to the year coming. And I set more goals for myself. So that's pretty much for me what that New Year's ride represents. And, you know, uh, I recommend, like I said, so I I recommend 
that if you haven't done a New Year's ride, if you haven't done some winter riding, or if you think that riding should only be done in the summer or, you know, late spring or very early fall, you're kind of missing out. You're kind of missing out. And to keep it, you know, keep it really, really 100 with you, learning how to slow down and ride at a decent pace and just kind of back off the throttle a little bit when the roads aren't as warm, it really helps hone in your control of the machine and of yourself. So, you know, Black Moses encourages you all to get out and ride safely. You dig? Welcome to Life in the Fast Lane, y'all. My guest this week is a professional racer. Scratch that. She's a professional international racer. She's one of my favorite peoples in the universe. Please welcome to Life in the Fast Lane, Patricia Fernandez. (laughs) The one and only. The one and only. How are you? I'm doing well. Not bad. A little gas from a mountain bike ride I just got home from, but doing really well. Good. You know, you, you, you stay, you stay on the fitness program. You know, I, you know, the, you, your Instagram is popping as the kids say the Instagram, <laughs> you know, you keep the, you keep the, the tonage on point, you know, but you're an athlete, you're an athlete. So that is to be expected. Yeah. I try better than some worse than others. Now, <laughs> so I try to get the angles that don't, you know, show all my bruises quite as much. Because I am an athlete, but I'm a little bit of a brute when it comes to how well I play on the mountain bike. Listen, that is that's part of the game, and uh, you know, it, it's 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 cool to see that you know, as you, your activity, your level of activity, it seems to, from my point of view, it seems that you are actively getting more and more active if that makes any weird sense at all but i think you know what i'm talking about no no i think it's definitely true but i think it's also one of those things where you know i get ever since i started showcasing more of my fitness and feminine side on the social media where before it was you know i was so i had the mindset that i wanted to be a respected racer and it was just about racing and that you know there's a lot of really influential people that I started working with and real big name sponsors. And they're like, well, you know, you're, you're a pretty girl and you're an athlete. You should show people that. And I was like, well, I don't want anyone to, you know, not respect me or not understand. And they're like, no, I think, you know, you, you're lady racer, you're a lady and a racer. You got to kind of do both. And it's been a little bit outside of my comfort zone to showcase it. But I think it's one of those things where years and years of working out, you kind of plateau and you got to push yourself more. So I definitely challenge myself a lot to maintain that fitness level, you know, if you started out working you know, 10 minutes a day, three times a week, eventually you're going to have to push a little harder or a little harder. So I try to keep it interesting and dynamic by mixing it up, like mountain biking or the Peloton or yoga or different things. You know, I, I get a lot of people online that, you know, send me messages and ask me about stuff and about fitness in general, but also fitness related motorcycle racing and stuff and you know i always tell them don't get discouraged and don't expect to be on a pro level everyone starts from somewhere but like with me with mountain biking i'm more new at it i'm trying to do something fresh trying to do something new and challenge different muscle groups and <clears throat> i tell you what i crash a lot wow <laughs> but it's it's fun and 
it's different and it keeps me more active and it keeps me pushing myself because if I only did the same thing all the time, you would just get bored. Right. You know, right. and it's, you know, even racers like on the off season, they do dirt bikes, they do mini bikes, they do flat tracks. They keep up their skill level without getting bored, being redundant. Well, wait a minute. Let's, let's, let's back it up right here. Let's back it up. When did, <laughs> when did you and I meet? I think it was because wait before we go any further just for the listeners of life in the fast lane to know that black moses has a list of favorite people okay there's, <laughs> there's a list i believe you actually do i, believe you I actually do now i you know it you know I, I i i get along with a lot of people and there's some people i don't get along with but all in all i i you know i generally like people and people generally like your boy, Mr. Black Moses. However, there is an upper echelon of people <laughs> that I like, that I adore, and those are my favorite people. Black Moses' is favorite people. You, Patricia Fernandez, is one of <laughs> you're one of my favorite people in oh, the universe. You're always so sick. You're like Black Santa to me. You're ah. so, so happy. And it's like fancy Santa, you're happy. Like Santa. I, every time I see you, it's always the best time. Big smiles. And I think I met you the first year I ever went pro. I did the last three rounds in 2012. Okay. And it was New Jersey, NOLA, and or Homestead and NOLA. But I think I met you in 2013 when I did my first full year pro. Okay. Because okay. I think that's when I met you. Because I remember in 2013, by the time we got to New Jersey, you were already hitting me up to be a judge in the bikini contest. Yes, the, in, <laughs> the infamous. Oh, man, that was Good times, I mean, though. you know, it kept me entertained on the race. I'm not going to lie. Yeah, well, it, it, it is what it is. Um, But, so that's when you and I met and as i mentioned like you know you're one of my favorite people's and favorite people's is that is that proper tense you're one of my favorite persons but i you know you're one of my favorite people's in the universe <laughs> um but for good reason though for good reason it's so many reasons that i admire you um one your personality uh your spirit how you move and exist through time and space you talk about me being black santa you know, Rad, <laughs> look, look, no, because Rad recognizes Rad, and I think that people vibrate on a certain frequency, and people who are like of like frequencies vibrate toward each other. So it's all about good vibes, positive energy, and you, you to me, that's what you emanate. You emanate. I've never seen you upset. I've never seen you upset. Um, I've seen you in as an athlete, I've seen you focused. But never upset. And I think that that's something that a lot of in today's world, I think a lot of racers, a lot of athletes, they get frustrated and then it, you know, they broadcast that. And it, it, it sometimes it has a negative, uh, it has a negative output. I've never seen you upset. I've seen you focused, but I've never seen you upset. And I think that that's admirable. Um, beyond that though, you're just, a dope individual. You're just dope. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I've, you th- I've uh, never I mean, had a I bad time it. in your company. I'm oh, keeping it 100. Never had a bad time in your company. Um, the from the bikini, from being a judge at the bikini competitions at New Jersey Motorsports Park to <laughs> um, <laughs> to doing you know tours in Philly, tours in Philly, and hanging out uh, in you know in South Philly to uh, you know uh, track days when we were at Chuck Walla. Mm-hmm. Uh, for yeah, for with Pridmore, um, shout out to JP. You know, all those times that we've been in each other's company, 
it's just like that kinfolk type vibe. You're just a, even like VIP, you know, the Pirelli VIP uh, track days. Like you just always been like a super cool person to be around. And that's what Black Moses appreciates about. Oh, I appreciate it. I think for me, like it's so real because I was just thinking about it like surreal. But so April 10, 2010 was my first track day ever. And if what? you think about it, it hasn't even been 10 years since my first ever track day. And to think of all everything that I've accomplished and gone all around the world. I mean, if you would ask me two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago, where I'd be today, definitely not. And I think for me, it's just so much gratitude. Like motorcycle racing is so cool. It's something I never thought I'd do. So even though I'm a pro racer and stuff, I see myself as still just like fangirl. And I'm so excited to be everywhere. It's so grateful and so humble in front of everyone's presence. To this day, like I still go places and even, you know, at the early thing, there's people that were there and were meeting and greeting, like motocross guys, all their stuff. I'm like, oh man, you know, and I get all fangirled out and people are like, I race overseas and I have a little record and stuff. And like, I go up to other racers to get their autographs. And they're like, what are you doing? That's funny. But I, I've never seen myself. I'm always so grateful. Like, I know a lot of racers, um, with certain attitudes, they don't necessarily like the fans or like the fan walk. And I absolutely adore and I'm grateful for it because their fans are their reason why we have it. I don't always have fans, but I'm still a fan of so many people and, you know, like you and what you do and other people. Like, I, I love it. Like, I'm still a fangirl. And I think that's why my attitude might be a little bit different than some of the yeah. other reasons. But doing that, you know, 20 years of their whole life where I'm just always so thankful and grateful. And, you know, I do with traveling a lot i do a lot of audiobooks like on the plane and in the car <clears throat> always try to keep my brain fresh and challenge that as well as my body but i do a lot of books on uh you know bettering yourself or dealing with situations all kinds of different stuff but yeah. you know one of the biggest thing and everything is about gratitude and gratefulness and no matter where you are in life or what you do like it could always be worse you know yep. so i just always i feel like i'm always thankful and always happy and a lot of it has to do with you know a mind choice but Deep down, I'm just still a fangirl for everyone that I what, hang out what, with. What's that saying? Every day above ground is better than any day below it. So, uh, yeah, no, I agree with so, you 100%. And even when it's like your worst day, like my absolute worst experiences at a racetrack are better than being yep. behind a desk Absolutely. You know, at a job that I don't like. And so you get upset. I try to get really upset or frustrated. Usually I say those for very negative moments, but <laughs> overall, like, I'm just so grateful for everything I've ever been able to do. And, you know, I, I really enjoy it. Can we, can we talk about how you like briefly, like why motorcycles? How were you introduced to, to bikes? It's kind of a crazy story. Oh like, boy. Growing up, I thought motorcycles were always really cool like a teenager and stuff. And I would always ask my parents, like no one in my family ever rode a motorcycle or anything. And I used to think they were cool. And I used to ask my mom for like a bike or something. And she always told me when I was old enough to move out of the house and buy my own. Is when I could have. <laughs> she definitely did not. And no one in my family wanted me riding motorcycles. But I, darn if as soon as I turned 18, I moved out of the house. And the first thing I purchased was a used Suzuki GS500 with a banana seat. Oh my goodness. What? It was Ugly, but if you tell me to this day, I thought it was the coolest thing on the planet riding that little banana skate. Because it was yours. It was yours. <laughs> I remember going to Myrtle Beach Bike Week on the strip with all these people and their custom bikes and everything else. And I was on my stock GS and I thought I was the coolest person there. <laughs> wow. But I just rode them a lot. I thought they were cool. And I ended up getting a little R6 for a street bike after that. And 
just a little street square riding around with my friends and everything. And some of my friends started doing track days and they're like, man, you should really do a track day. And I was like, well, I can't do that or I don't have any money or I'm not interested in being a racer. And they're like, well, you should just do it to learn skills and stuff. And wait, like, wait, oh, now, what, what year was this? What year? You said your first track day was 2000 and I'm sorry, 2010. Is that right? Yeah. April 10, 2010. So what? they were talking to me about it actually the summer before, like 2009. Okay. So I saved my money all winter. I I used suit, I used helmet, used boots. Like, I eBayed everything. I was so broke. And so I got everything that I needed to, and I signed up for my first track day, which was in April. And I had a little single cab, short bed pickup truck, loaded my own bike. I showed up. I mean, it had a kickstand. I just taped the headlights. My license plate was still on it. Like, I had pictures of it, and it's just, like, so crazy. Like, I just showed up. Like, okay, what do I do? I had no idea what I was doing. None. <laughs> I didn't even bring water. I didn't have anything. You were just, you were just there to ride. Let me ride. Yeah, I didn't know. No idea. And I would just flip up the center console and I'd have a pillow and a blanket and I would just sleep in my little single cab as a little bed. Like, I'm a little person. I'm only, you know, five, two and a half, five, three. So I would just sleep in it like a little bed. It took me two or three track days before I even brought water or anything. I mean, I was broke. I can't remember times where I was siphoning gas out of my motorcycle to put it in my back of my truck to get home because I didn't know how to get it. Like, I was so poor, but it was so much fun. Like, I, from the first day that I did it, like, I was so slow. And I remember the first time I dug me, I got scared because I was like, oh, what was that? <laughs> 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 and I, I crashed and turned one and I picked up my bike and I kept going. It was just like a load side. I was going so slow, you know, but I remember all the coaches freaked out and they're like, we've never seen a girl crash, pick up her own bike and like so stoked to go back out and ride again. Wow. And I just loved it. I can't, honestly can't tell you. No one in my family is a racer of any kind. Go-karts, cars, motorcycle, nothing. No one ever had a motorcycle. It was just something I can't tell you where the passion or the fire comes from, but it fills my heart and I love it. And That's I crazy. It That's crazy. So, I just started doing more and more track days and then I got bumped intermediate and then I got bumped advanced and then people were like, why don't you do some club races? Why don't you do this? And I remember my first mock race I ever did. It was like one of the mock races you do at the track day to get to qualify to get your club race license. So it was just a bunch of track day people and I was crying. I thought I was going to die. I was so nervous. Oh, I was wow. so terrified. And all my friends were making fun of me because they were like, it's just a track day mock race. And I'm like, no, I shouldn't be here. What am I doing? <laughs> and I ended up meeting the fastest girl that was there at the organization. We've been riding track days for a year. I'm like, first ever one. And I got off the bike and I still kept crying because I'm so happy. And everyone just kept making fun of me that there's no crying in racing. <laughs> there is no <laughs> crying in racing. There's no crying in racing. And I was like, I'm happy, but I went from totally terrified thinking I was going to die to happy. And just an addiction, the feeling of racing and challenging and going faster, like everything, everything that's involved with it. It's just a very addictive feeling that I've just been chasing and started doing amateur races. And I won a bunch of championships. I went expert and I won a bunch of championships and people were, I just still remember to this day, my friends say, why don't you try to qualify for a pro race? I was like, there's no way I would ever qualify. And I did. And I remember then it was like, why don't you keep racing this? And it was just one day after another. It was never a life plan. It was never a goal, but I kept chasing it. The doors kept opening and I kept going through and I'm so grateful for everything I've been able to do. That's amazing. I, I love, I love hearing backstories it's not even it's not even a backstory. It's part of your journey. It's it's that history of and part of your foundation of how you got to be 
where you are and who you are today. And to think that you said your first track day was 2010, yes. right? April 10, 2010, Summit Point, Shenandoah. I can remember all the details less than 10 years ago. Now you are racing the Northwest 200, right? The Macau, whatever. What, what like, let's talk about what your program <laughs> is now because you're, in, you know, international to go from, you know, club racer or track day young lady with, you know, your, with your, with your little truck and no water. <laughs> it's so true though it's so funny it's so true but to go from that to what your program is now like like what are you doing now like what's the program so everything the recent, that I've been what was the most recent program the the most recent was i have a 1000 race bike and i was doing um some club races in daytona and road atlanta and other stuff here in the states and doing international you know, road races overseas. And so I would do the club racing and stuff here to stay on point and then go compete in these huge international road races with the best of the best in the whole entire world, Adam, and on a superbike and racing with some of my idols that I can't even believe I qualifier. I'm on grid with them and doing that and, you know, getting invites. I've been personally invited to the Isle of Man by the organizer himself and other things like, holy cow, like I can't even believe like he knew who I was. Wait, pause, you know? pause, pause, like- please pause. So I, did, <laughs> did, you said Isle of, Isle of Man, okay. Or, and you said you were invited personally by the organizer. You didn't say what your response was though. You kind of skipped I'm over not- that. You said, he said, <laughs> would you like to come race the Isle of Man TT? And Patricia Fernandez said, uh, I got a lot of stuff that's got to get in line to make it happen. You know, so I, it's I not appreciate that I don't that. want to, or that it's not that I'm not capable of it. I'm a hundred percent confident in myself and my ability and the fact that been personally invited when I would never expect that man to even know who I was, you know, it, it's, it's a very humbling experience and it's like, holy cow, like dream come true. But there's a lot of factors that have to line up to be able to make it worth it because what a lot of people don't realize is I would be considered a newcomer with road racing overseas, a little different than a short circuit. So say, you know, I'm competing, if I was competing with Moto America and I'd been to nine out of the 10 racetracks, but not the 10th one, it doesn't matter. I'm still a pro level in my class and everything. Now with a road race, I've done the Northwest 200. I've done the Ulster Grand Prix, but I've never done the um, Isleman TT. So no matter what race you go to, even though you're a pro, you haven't raced that circuit, you're a newcomer. Okay. So as a newcomer to the TT, um, I would have to come out and do two one week training session. So like a week in January, a week in March, and then the race starts in May and it's almost a month long. So there's a significant amount of time that would have to be invested for me traveling from America over there. Cause it's not like it's in my backyard where I could go there on a weekend and train right. and come back home and have to be a week at a time. And, uh, there's, you know, obviously like big financial commitment and time commitment and other stuff going over there to do, I mean, it is the most pinnacle of all races. It's over 30 miles, over 250 turns and one lap over 30 miles and one lap. Like there's a lot to wrap your head around. And I know that I'm strong, confident woman. And I know my skill set and I know that I'd be able to do it, but there's still a lot that would have to go into it for training and preparation of a race like that. So it's not that I wouldn't be, I wouldn't want to do it, but the stars kind of got aligned with a more of a support system to get me over there to make it 
you know, feasible. See, that's the difference between just a racer and a pro athlete, your mindset, your mindset, because to take that, you're right. That's a lot of data to process. And it's not just about that lap. It's about the entire setup before months, if not years before the pre-gaming, all of those elements that come together to give yourself the best opportunity to give yourself the best shot at that opportunity. That's a right. big difference. That's maturity. A lot of people don't have that's, that. It's in road racing. Well, what they consider proper road racing versus what we call road racing, they call circuit racing. You're on a closed circuit, right. you know. Road racing is a whole other ball game. Like even Valentino Rossi and some of the other best of the best in the world have been to the Owlman and other places and said they would never do it. It's a totally different mindset. And just because you're a good road racer doesn't mean you're a good circuit racer and vice versa. Now, they why? Why? Explain. Break that down. Break that down. Okay. Well, for me, there was a learning curve doing it. But if I go to a circuit, most circuits are a mile and a half to four miles, maybe. So when you get your practice in your 30 minutes, you're doing lots of laps. It's all controlled. The surface might change a little bit in certain spots, but there's plenty of runoff. I could go into turn one and charge as hard as I can. If I don't make it, I can just stand the bike up and run off, you know, or I can get back on. There's a lot more room for error and mistakes. And a lot of short circuits, I could low side or crash, pick my bike up and keep going. No big deal. Road racing, the part that makes it so appealing to a lot of people is the danger factor. Unfortunately, a lot of racers pass away doing it because the danger factor is there, but you need to be on your mind, your right mind game because of that. I could go a short, a short road race is seven miles for one lap. Like, you know, some Northwest is over nine. The Mm -hmm. Isle of Man is over 30 for one lap, over 250 turns of one lap. You're talking most circuits are 10 turns in one lap that's not as much to memorize you get 20 laps per session you get three or four maybe in a session there so all the stuff you have to process between the tarmac changes a lot these are roads that cars ride on and everything else there's gravel there's paint it's not non-slip paint <laughs> it is slippery <laughs> and it has you know what and there's gutters and there's walls like proper walls and not to mention the small it. woodland creatures i would imagine that there are some oh that too <laughs> And like like you say tunnel vision, you look at a short circuit, everything's cleared from the circuit. You can see where your next turn is. You can't necessarily see where your next turn is. If you're looking through walls and hedges and trees, you got to be on your A game and you kind of go in. You don't ride 100% your first lap because you don't even know where you're going or what to do. And, and not only that, rain or shine, that race is happening. And especially public road tarmac that we're talking about. It could be totally different surfaces and wet and dry. Like some parts might be grippy and some parts might be super, super slippy. And when you're talking about over 200 turns, every single turn has a different characteristic, not only just landscape, pavement, you know, it's so crazy. I remember the first few times that I was going around the Ulster Grand Prix, I had to tell myself, holy crap, those are people. There's so many people (laughs) lined up next to the racetrack, like laying on the ground next to the racetrack. Like, if anything were to happen to me or I were to crash, like, you know, it's just crazy to me. I have to say, like, look away, look away, like, pretend they're trees or something because there's people right next to the racetrack. Like, that would never happen at a circuit. They're right. in the stand behind the fences, you know, like, it's just a whole other element. There's so much more to wrap your head around. And if you run off, you're not running off into a gravel pit. You're in a field. <laughs> you know, <laughs> they, they literally have rules. 
any of your bike touches the ground, like if you go down, you can't even get back on it and, and reenter the racetrack. Like it's, there's a big element of danger. And with that also comes, you need to have a mature mindset to be able to understand and wrap that around and give yourself a little bit of room for safety. You can't necessarily go hundred percent like you could on a circuit, not while you're learning. They say it takes about five years to learn a road course because there's so much information your brain has to process to be able to go fast on it. And it's true because I remember I've done the Ulster six years now. And last year was the first year that I went out hundred percent ready to go confident. I knew the trees, I knew the spots, I knew the turns. And even though you'd been there before, you know, like I said, you get a 30 minute session, but that's only three laps right. or four laps. Like it's not 15, 20 laps. So there's, there's a big challenge of how hard something like that can be and a risk fast factor. Like the first time I ever went to Ireland, Dane Westby was with me. And the first time we went around in a car and I was like, I think I can do that. And he's like, you are absolutely crazy. I'm not interested. <laughs> and Corey West, my boyfriend now, is 100% same thing. He's like, I'm not interested in that because they know they can't turn down the dial. So instead of riding 100%, say ride 75% at first while you learn. And they know that they can't do that. So they're not interested in doing it because of the risk factor. Right. If you can't turn it down to learn and you make a mistake, it's extremely unforgiving. So, you know, I, I respect that though. Like you got to either have a mature mindset to do it and learn it or just say, have a mature mindset to say, you know what? I can't slow down and I'm not going to do it because I don't want to risk it, you know? And yeah. I respect it on both sides of the spectrum. That's crazy. I mean, like, the, you know, everything that you just described, you just basically broke down, you know, you just broke it down, really. Like, um, like, because, you know, I watch it, you know, and my goal is to go in as a spectator, if not in 2020, 20, maybe 21. But, you know, you watch it and it's 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 thrilling, it's invigorating. And then you watch, as a journalist, you know, you're reading the reports and you're watching video and you're all the you know, everything, that all the news and information that's coming in is completely different to view it from. As you said, you get three laps, basically three mm-hmm. laps to learn. And that's not it's again, it's not in your backyard. It's not your local track. It's across. There's an ocean between where you live and where you're going to be riding. So that is, I mean, that's pretty massive. But you, you know, what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Real quick, shout out to Mr. West. My <laughs> shout out, Mr. West, my guy. Um, how's he doing? He's doing really good. He he's been doing really well. He's the one trying to show me the ropes with the mountain biking and stuff, and he's darn near pro level like he's done mountain bike races and other stuff and he you know has to take it down a few notches to work with me and (laughs) he's he's a good boyfriend when it comes to the sense where he slows down and he lets me go slow where i need to go slow and go fast and he helps me when i crash (laughs) so he's a very patient kind person you would never know on a racetrack he's an absolute animal because he's so kind Um, but he's a good he's, he's doing really well you know another thing we were talking about the road racing it's crazy like you talked about from a spectator's perspective, because when you're racing, I'm in control. Like I know what I'm doing. I know where I'm going, but on a road race versus like the short circuit, you know, you're on a short circuit in North America. There's cameras up. You can see the whole racetrack. You have each segment, you know where the rider is at all times. It's no, it's only like two minutes maybe before you see him come back around. You don't have to wait a half hour before you see the rider right, again and not right. for the rest. So, right. I give him praise because he's come overseas with me and sent me out on the motorcycle and, and 
I have rules. Like you can't say anything negative. You can't be, you just got to say, go have fun and be positive. Even if you're scared, don't say it to me. Cause I got to keep my mind right. And I don't want anything in the back of my mind. So he's been great. And then when the week's over, we can talk about crashes or things or whatever, but he went and did Pike's peak in Colorado, the hill climb That's right. this past summer. And I was just a racer girlfriend. Like I wasn't there racing. And let me tell you about anxiety, freaking out, being nervous. And I followed my own rules. I didn't tell him I was nervous or scared, but I was absolutely terrified <laughs> to just let him go out and go and just sit there because you're not in control. Right. You know, like I know on a bike, I know what turns next. I know what I'm doing. I'm in control. And not being able to have control when you're used to it, it is horrible. I don't know if people do that because I am just like, I am a terrible racer girlfriend. Like, I was freaking out, but I had to together to let him know. But then afterwards, I told him I'll scare You know, and let's give a quick shout out to, uh, to, to in memory of, of the late, great Carlin Dunn, you know, who, mm, uh, yeah. yeah, you know, got to give. You know, just you just you know, just some props to to the homie, and you know, I'm assuming that you you guys were at the base of the mountain when that tragedy occurred. Is that correct? Were you guys there? Well, I was at the base of the mountain because Corey had already gone. Corey was at the top. He was within feet, like twenty, thirty feet of the finish line oh, when it wow. happened. He crashed. I mean, it, it's just insane because I was down at the bottom. Corey had gone. At the Pikes Peak, they release each rider like one minute apart, kind of like a time trial similar to the TT. And so they release them from the slowest qualifier to the fastest. Corey was there on electric bike. He was a few bikes um, before Carlin because Carlin had the fastest qualifying time. So he was the last rider to go. And there was this giant screen with splits on it. And everyone was down there just watching Carlin because there were a few riders. Renski, like Rennie killed him. Broke the record, and there were some other people that were shout out faster, to the brother you know? Rennie. Yeah, Rennie's case he broke. did awesome. And Carlin went out, and Carlin was slayed at like going purple every segment faster than Rennie had ever been. Like he was getting ready to go like thirty seconds faster than the record. Like I'm not even joking; it was unreal. So everyone was down there, like glued to the screen, and every segment that came up, all you heard was the crowd screaming and the crowd screaming because it was unreal to be like surreal to be watching it in person and be there. And then all of a sudden the last segment was just like, we're all sitting there waiting and we're like, he should have finished his segment. Right. He should have finished his segment. It was taking so long. And then you kind of hear the helicopters and the ambulances and all this oh, other stuff. Wow. Oh, you kind of know, you know, you just know. And then Corey had already been at the top. He had already finished that Pike's peak. They hold all the racers at the top until the last, to the last car is done like hours. So I freak out cause I can't talk to him. I don't know where he's at, you know, but he was up there and Carlin unfortunately passed away. Like he could see the checker flag where he wow. crashed. That's crazy. Which was, it was crazy. It was, it was just, yeah, it was unfortunate. It was really sad and it, it really hurt. Yeah. A lot of the riders that were there really affected him. And, you know, I've been to a lot of road races, almost every single race I've ever been in overseas. Unfortunately, at least a rider has passed away. It's kind of how it works with the situation, which is why a lot of riders choose not to do it. But it's always a little different when you know a rider more on a personal level. You know, than, as a, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's yeah, it's crazy. Like as a fan of, you know, obviously, you know, the industry that I'm super blessed to work in and be a part of, and you know, racing. I'm a huge race fan. You know, will I ever race? No, my body, <laughs> my body proportions just aren't really. I'm I'm built like a linebacker, so but <laughs> I will go there. You put me on the track, you know. Track days, that's that's where you know 
I get my rocks off that. But it's you're absolutely right. It's something about it's when you know a person. You know, we've we've both known people who have passed away, or, you know, and when it's something different, it, it affects you differently when you know the person. Um, when you've had oh, a beverage with the person or you've had social situations with the person, it just changes, mm-hmm. it changes the dynamics of you just being a fan, uh, with someone that everybody knows to you being, no, 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 that's my friend. That's my homie. Like we kicked it. We hung out and that person isn't here anymore. That kind of changes the dynamic of, you know, of the situation. Oh, 100%. Even, you know, I could tell you now. After right before Nikki passed away on the bicycle, Nikki, you know, Hayden was on the bicycle in Italy when training, when a car hit him weeks, just a few weeks before that, one of the instructors at Texas Tornado Boot Camp was hit by a car training on his bicycle. And I was, you know, really heavy into road, uh, road biking at the time. And I got hit by a car. I got hit. I saw it coming and my racer reflexes kicked in and I stood up and pedaled. So she actually it was an SUV hit the back wheel and spun me out. Had I not stood up and pushed that pedal one inch harder, she would have hit my femur like six inches away from that happening. And then, you know, Nikki passed away and it hit me hard. Like I haven't rode bike on a public road since then I've rode bike like on, uh, you know, where they have greenways or pathways and stuff for the bicyclists. But I'm to this day, like kind of scared of going on the roads because of it's crazy. You know, you can crash at 160, but we're wearing full leathers, helmet, safety gear, bicycle, you have a little helmet on, but no big deal. But even, you know, just such an amazing racer and a good friend, you know, but he was bicycling. It's like, I don't even want to bike road bike now because it's so scary when you know someone on a personal level, when when you just have that loss, you just relate to it a different, you know, it was, you know, and, and not to returning this episode into a memorial, but it's, it was one of those things when, you know, when Nikki passed that like Nikki and I were we were pretty tight and a lot of people didn't know. Shout out to Jackie because uh, Jackie knew how tight Nikki oh. and I were. Um, but when he passed, it it changed things a little bit because you just mm-hmm. didn't you didn't see it coming. But you never do. But yet, you know, it's just oh, man, it's just. It's tough. Let's let's move on. <laughs> okay. Yeah, let's bring it up. Enough. Let's Come move on. on. Yes. So when when I believe that there was a moment on track when I impressed you. Oh, you did the flip flop. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about the flop flop. So when I flippity flopped in the chicane. Shout out to JP, shout my, to JP. my coach, but Jason Pridmore, who a lot of people know him from commentating Moto America, but yes. was a badass in his day yes, slaying his racing the first ever american to podium world super sport and he coaches and has his own organization uh you know Wait, sidebar Ford, sidebar jp jp was the first pretty much actually he's the only person that i've done mandem with at road america he's the only person that i've <laughs> the very first <laughs> i like that little spinoff okay. right there yes okay but a little sidebar go ahead continue Yes, but so he coaches one-on-one and does track days and stuff now. He's great. And he was hosting an event where he gets, he has pro racers that he still coaches and some of the pro racers were there and we had some social media influencers, influencers, excuse me, such as yourself there. Yes, yes. And I was one of the coaches and you were there. And I remember I, that was the first time I got to work with Red Spade now and Red Spade and, and I, Anna and I are actually pretty good friends now from that event. But yeah, she's red. I was shout out to, shout out to Anna. Yeah, and it's awesome. And we were going, and there's this little part at Chuckwalla, for those who haven't been there, where you kind of go downhill, and it's a right-left, like a little flip-flop 
tight little turn, turn, and go. And I was behind Black Moses, like you said, linebacker body. What you do, you know, usually coaching, you go behind someone and watch them for a lap or two, get in front of them, pull off, you know, talk to them. And I was like, okay, let's see what's going on. And let me tell you, if you didn't get all that linebacker body from one side to the other, and I was like, oh, dang, keep working. Oh, this transition going. And I remember, you know, I got in front of you, we worked, and, you know, I was giving you some pointers, but I had to, I had to give it to you. Like, I'm big on positive reinforcement. I'm a very positive person that we talk to, but when you do coach someone and you talk to them, you don't just say, oh, you did this wrong, you did that wrong, you did that wrong. You know, that's not a good way for me. I'm a person that works very good with positive motivation. You know, like, help someone work on it, but Absolutely. compliment them and give them a good thing. And I remember, like, me and Rispoli were there, but one of the things we did talk to you is because you were so big, you were actually working a little bit harder than you needed to, but I commended you on your effort. Like, I saw it. You wanted it. You were working for it. Oh, I'm a workforce. And I let you know positive, and then there were other little things, you know, we critiqued and stuff. But to this day, I've never seen such a big man work so hard on a motorcycle. Look, man, <laughs> let, it, let it be known, Black Moses got moves. I may be big. I may be big, <laughs> but I got moves, Okay. <laughs> That's right. I mean, I've seen your moves on a dance floor. That's, That's the first time I saw them. You know what? Like, I've seen your moves on a dance floor as well. I like <laughs> to dance. You give me a margarita or two, I think I'm the best one out there. But entertainment value. <laughs> oh, man. Listen, listen, man. I don't want to take up too much of your time. But, but I want to know what's next. What's, you know, where, what's, what, what's the next, what's next on the deal? What's next on the platform? Are, are we, we talked about, uh, Isle of Man. Are you doing the North, Northwest 200 in 2020? What's, what's, what's next year for Patricia? We're kind of working on a lot of that stuff. The problem is, or not, I wouldn't say a problem, but around this time of year, you know, after around the holidays and other stuff, it kind of gets a little static when it comes to planning. Because a lot of sponsors, a lot of other people, everyone's enjoying the holidays and taking time off. And it's not necessarily race planning time until kind of after the new year when it kind of starts getting kicked into gear a little bit more. Sure. My personal, you know, badass 1000 race bike is being taken to Gemini to get refreshed and ready to go. And I definitely have three, four race weekends planned to keep up my skills. And I definitely want to break that 200 mile an hour barrier at Daytona in March. I'm working real hard on that one because no female has ever broken 200 mile an hour at Daytona. Let's and I did a 199.5. Wow. I got fucking robbed. Oh, right there, right there, right I'm there. It, you know, I definitely have a lot of that stuff planned as it comes for the stuff overseas. Um, I mean, my my fan base and my support system overseas is unreal. It's unlike anything I've ever seen. Obviously, motorcycle racing is a much bigger deal over there. And my all of my American sponsors are extremely supportive of that. It's just kind of making sure all the stars align to yeah. make it all work. I mean, if it was up to me every weekend, I'd be racing and yeah. I'd be a billionaire. But <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't always quite go hand in hand. So right now, it's definitely still my personal training on point, my club racing and stuff on point, keeping all my skill sets ready to go for when all the stars align to pull that trigger and go. You know, so for me, it's just taking care of me at the moment. There's a few plans in the works, but nothing solid where I want to make any kind of public you, announcement. Listen, you but. make sure you let your boy Black Moses know, you know, when the news <laughs> drops. Okay, you make sure I get those press releases and, you know, so I can give some propers and shout outs and support and let people oh, know. Oh, absolutely. I definitely appreciate it. You absolutely. always make me feel so good about myself. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, Red recognizes Red. Listen, man, before I let you go, there is a part of the show every episode when we ask our guests basically i put you through what i call the super bowl section 
I ask oh. you, that's right. I've asked you three questions and you just give me your honest truth. That's all. Your rapid truth. You don't have to overthink it. It's pretty easy. It's pretty harmless. Um, but you know, it's the Super Bowl section of Life in the Fast Lane hosted by me, your boy, Mr. Black Moses. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. Question number one. Tupac or Biggie? Oh, that's wrong. Oh, it's that's such wrong. a great question. It's so right. I would say Tupac just because I was born in California myself. Okay. And like California Love is still one of my favorite songs of all time. It, I mean, it, God, it, if Biggie doesn't come on, if that shoulder roll doesn't start happening, <laughs> and, and, you know, you start nodding your head uncontrollably, that's a tough one. But just because I was born in California, I was six bucks. Nothing wrong with that. Moving on. Question number two. The Daytona 200 or the Northwest 200? Ah, Northwest 200. <laughs> For okay. me, the excitement level and the intensity and the challenge, the 200, I've done it before. I've, I love it, but it is a long race. Mm. <laughs> it is long. And for me, I like the sprints more, and I can get, you know, four or five sprints on that 1,000 in and a chance to, if you mess up, to redo it again or really nail it. Where the 200, you know, if that thing goes with no red flags, you're pooped at the end. <laughs> okay, good, good, good. Moving on. Last and final question of the Super Bowl section of Life in the Fast Lane, hosted by me, your boy, Mr. Black Moses. <laughs> <laughs> if you could take a ride with anybody alive, no longer with us, uh, fictional, non-fictional, biblical, mythological, uh, who would you ride with? Where would you ride? And what would you be riding? Oh, there's like a couple that I want to do. That's a tough one. Like, mm. Some of the coolest people that I would want to ride with. You want, you want, like, do you want to say group ride? Well, for this situation only with Patricia Fernandez, you will make it <laughs> if you could take group a, ride. a group ride. Okay, group ride, group but ride. it would be a group ride. Three of my favorite people, but three different vehicles. Okay, I would want to ride with Ayrton Senna in Brazil Ooh. in like a badass Formula One car. Whoa! Okay. I would want that man to show me some rubs. That's one of the greatest. Him in the rain is one of the most beautiful things you have ever seen in your life. And I want Homeboy to teach me how to ride in the rain a little bit better. Nice. That okay. would be really cool. Okay. Steve McQueen. Steve McQueen is like the essence of cool. And Ooh. I would have to be with Steve McQueen on some dirt tracker in the dirt riding. Like, teach me how to be cool, Steve McQueen. Like, I that like guy's it. awesome. Okay. And then, probably my third favorite, just because part of my little nerd wants to come out, I would want to ride up and down the Las Vegas Strip with old school Elvis Presley. Wow. Cool Elvis Presley back in his A day when Vegas was cool and like a little two seater sports car. Like, that man was cool. He knew what it was like. And he. He probably had some good parties. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you something real quick, real quick. There was a time when my karaoke song, my karaoke song right now is Cocaine Blues by Johnny Cash. Okay. But before, before Johnny, CC Rider by Elvis Presley. That was, man is just like the blue suede shoes and like the Hawaiian shirts and everything about him. He just has him and like Steve McQueen, like the younger versions. Like there was just a cool factor about them. You wanted to chill with them. You know, like they were just so like they could teach you how to be like, you're not trying to be cool, but they're just, just are. swag. Obviously, like Ayrton Senna is probably one of 
the biggest people I admire when it comes to racing and stuff. But yeah. like, I would want to ride with him where he teach me how to race. Like he's a racer and I think it's cool, but like Steve McQueen and Elvis, man, like can imagine do that. all three of us in a corner, like, school, like <laughs> the best show not on TV would be. Like, yeah. Oh man. I, I, <laughs> I would feel so cool to hang out with those two. <laughs> listen, listen. I, you know, I, I think you did a great job with the Super Bowl section. Um, and as always, always, it's always great to talk to you. Uh, whenever we get together, it's always a great time. I want to make sure that you give your sponsors a shout out. And if there's anybody that you want to say thank you to or big ups or give propers to, now's your opportunity. Who do you want to say thanks to? Oh, definitely. I mean, Motul USA, Pirelli USA, you know, Arai Helmets, Speedy Leathers, Jason Pridmore, Arai Like a Go Racing. I mean, there's some pretty epic people that really helped me out. And, you know, if it wasn't for Motul and Pirelli and Speedy and Arai, especially like those four have been with me since the beginning of when I started riding, like I wouldn't be able to do a lot of the stuff that I can do. You know, following my social media, I think it's hilarious where people see me, you know, in the airport with three sets of tires as my <laughs> luggage. <laughs> you know, Motul sends me product wherever I need to go. Like having support like that, no matter where I go, that they're behind me is absolutely amazing. It's really good to feel that way. And, you know, for me, a really big thing for me is all the fans on social media. Like social media, like when I get nervous or I'm getting scared or you doubt yourself. I mean, everybody does it no matter what they say. They might do it in private. They may not be public about it. And I go and I get the most amazing quotes from people saying, you can do it or I believe in you and you're my inspiration. Or those little tiny positive messages, like when I'm all alone and I'm overseas for like a month and by myself and kind of feeling it and I get those little messages, like, man, if that doesn't keep me moving forward. So shout out to all those positive people on social media, not the little keyboard negative warriors, <laughs> but those positive people that just drop those little things that might think it's a little comment and no big deal, that it really makes a difference. And I think all those people are awesome. All my support system, and, you know, Black Moses. Oh, but, hey now, watch out there now, watch out there now. <laughs> That boy good. That boy good. With his little flip flop once yeah. came. <laughs> no, we, we, we gotta come up with a dance called the flip flop. No, say less. I'm already working on it. Say less. Where can we follow you at on social media? What are your What are your social uh, media at underscore or lady underscore racer nine two six is my social media on uh, Instagram and Twitter and Patricia Fernandez Racing on Facebook. Patricia Fernandez, my favorite, one of my favorite peoples in the universe. <laughs> I love you, buddy. Listen, man, thank you so much for hanging out with your boy, Mr. Black Moses. And uh, I can't wait to see you and Mr. West again and hang out and, you know, get, get, get some more pointers and get some more great, great vibes, positive energy from you guys. Well, thanks. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. Appreciate it. And I can't wait to see that flip flop on the dance floor. Flip flop. Watch out there now. <laughs> Yo, thanks, Patricia Fernandez, I'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. <laughs> Bye. Well, that's our show for this week. Please follow the show on Instagram at Life in the Fast Lane Official, on Twitter at L I T F L Official, and on Facebook at Life in the Fast Lane Podcast. Please hit that like, that share, the subscribe button, drop a comment, tell a friend, get more friends so you can tell more friends about Life in the Fast Lane, hosted by me, the boy. Mr. Black Moses. Listen, man, we'll be right back here next Friday with an all new episode of Life in the Fast Lane, hosted by me, your boy, Mr. Black Moses. I'm gone.
This is a Landry Football Quick Fix on Radio Influence. What are the problems the Patriots facing on offense, particularly at receiver? Do you think Brady has to be patient with new receivers, Myers, Harry, and Sanu? Also, do you think the loss of Gronkowski has left the void at the tight end position with his ability to block in the run game and force in the passing game? Well, absolutely, Richard. The loss of Gronk in the run and pass game is the biggest loss that they've had. He's the biggest go-to weapon that they had that they do not have currently. It's a humongous loss. So there's no doubt about that. And they, they not only don't have a tight end, they don't have one of those receivers that's become effective on the outside. And they just have really a running back in white and a receiver in Edelman. They're only ones that can run the type of routes and make side adjustments to coincide with what Brady's reads are. So, yeah, you got to be patient, but you're in the last quarter of the season, and their record is good, but quite frankly, they're not good enough right now to win a Super Bowl. The Landry Football Podcast with veteran scout and coach Chris Landry can be found on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn Radio, Google Podcasts, and RadioInfluence.com.